There's no question that Chicago's elevated rail system keeps the city and suburbs moving. But just who exactly is moving? Are they getting where they need to go on time? Who is choosing to ride the L and who doesn't have the choice? Who is being served by the current system and who isn't? And how do we make these systems better for everyone? And can we? I'm Allison Rauch, and this is Elevating, a new podcast series from WNUR News. Episode 2, Who is the L4? It's undeniable that in a metropolitan city, public transportation is and should be accessible to everyone. And in some ways, Chicago's system is. This is sort of the epitome of public transportation. In a city with, in a, in a country with such huge gaps between the rich and the poor, this is a relatively affordable way to get around. That's Patrick Reardon, author of a book about the loop. In it, Reardon argues that the loop is the heart of Chicago, allowing people from all over the city to circulate downtown. There's a mix of the classes on the L's. So if you're riding south on, on the red line, you know, you've got people that are lawyers and uh, and doctors and homeless people. You know, if you're riding from the west, you're getting people from Oak Park who are homeowners getting on with people who are laborers. So it's it's not perfect, you know, but it is it is a way in which the races are able to, to experience together. The classes, the economic classes can experience it together. And it makes it possible for people to get around to jobs. Therefore, the L seems fairly egalitarian, at least at face level. However, just because something is technically accessible to everyone doesn't mean it caters equally to all populations. Chicago continues to be a highly segregated city with large numbers of black Chicagoans historically living on the south side of the city. Why is it that the far south side of Chicago is the only part of the city that does not have rail service? That's Brian Steele, vice president of communications for the CTA. The CTA is rolling out a red line extension project designed to address longstanding inequalities in rail service access on the far south side. Right now, the red line only goes down to 95th Street. That's around 30 blocks from the city limits. It's not exaggeration to say that the red line extension will be the most transformational transit project in a half century in the city of Chicago. The red line extension calls for a 5.6 mile extension from the current southern end of the red line, which is 95th Street, all the way down to 130th Street, and there will be four stations constructed as part of that. This project will address a 50 plus year gap, actually longer than that gap, in rail transit service to the far south side of Chicago, the south suburbs. Those areas have been cut off from the benefits of rail public transit since the original red line opened in 1969. Uh, There have been promises made and initial planning done over the decades, nothing ever moved forward. The investment that we're making in the stations, we believe will foster development down there, commercial, residential, educational, It's a good sign that the CTA is now willing to invest in providing rail access to traditionally underserved populations. But as always, the bottom line will be funding. It is not an inexpensive project. The current price tag is $3.6 billion, uh, which sounds like a lot of money because it is a lot of money. But 
the $3.6 million, certainly it's a cost. We also view it as an investment, an investment in communities, an investment in people, an investment in fostering opportunity, an investment in addressing a long-standing inequity. We have secured about $2 billion of the project cost through various funding streams, uh, local, state, uh, and federal. Later this year, the federal government is anticipated to provide us essentially the balance of this project, about a billion dollars, that will enable us to actually start moving forward with the process on this project. The federal government has signaled that this is the type of project that they want to support. Uh, It falls right in line with the priorities of the uh, current presidential administration, which has talked about uh, equity projects that will be transformational for communities and promote opportunity. We are very close to crossing the finish line for the Red Line Extension and uh, hope that we will be able to make uh, a very positive announcement at the end of this year. Federal funding in particular is an uncomfortable aspect of the Red Line Extension. Without it, the project likely will be impossible. And though, as Steele said, federal funding is anticipated, it's not guaranteed, especially since the current presidential administration might be different come November. The red line extension is is our most ambitious effort to solve it. Unfortunately, it's just enormously expensive. That's Joseph Schwederman, professor of transportation at DePaul University. He also serves as director of DePaul's Chaddock Institute for Metropolitan Development. Just to say right bluntly, we have to improve mobility in the far south side. It's just that what we have today is not acceptable. I think the Red Line Extension is a really important project, but it's it's critical we don't let the cost spin out of control because you could build this and find that it doesn't meet its ridership goals, which would be a crying shame to make people wait I'm just editorializing now. You know, wait eight years until it's open. It's a long time before you open this. There could be delays in construction. There could be new forms of transportation that emerge, like, you know, a lot of people are using shared Uber trips to get hard to reach locations and car ownership's growing up. So there's a lot of risk in the red line extension, as I'm saying. Schwederman hits at an important point. To improve transportation accessibility in the far south side of Chicago, it will likely take more than just four more red line stops. It's going to take a multi-pronged approach to help disadvantaged populations. There's no one solution. For example, many are working in warehouses on the in the south suburbs now. You know, Amazon's open all these warehouses and people coming from poor neighborhoods, marginalized neighborhoods. And they have to get there. And that's really tough on transit the way it's set up today. So like Pace Suburban Bus, if you Google that, they have different sharing programs where you can take Metro or Pace and then a little van will pick you up and take you to the warehouse. And it's part of their new strategy to get people to these big warehouses. That's got to be part of the mix. We also know that people who have shifts that get out at, say, midnight, may not feel comfortable being on the L. We just have to be realistic about whether a woman traveling alone at one in the morning will be comfortable taking the L. So we may need creative options for those populations too. Joseph Schofer, Emeritus Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Northwestern University, also discussed these other potential approaches. It's huge. That's a primary, that's the real argument for the red line extension. I mean, from a, from a transit 
transportation service point of view, if you took the same amount of money and you allocated it to some other kind of service, a bus, a really good bus service, that it's very dense coverage and frequent service, you probably you could get more and better transportation. But there's an the equity issue is we're the the low income minority population in in the city, and we're the only part that doesn't really doesn't have rail ser- service. So you really equity is the is is the main reason, and it's very it's it's very expensive. And and the the sad part is if you look at the population density maps down there, what you'll see is there's a huge amount of open land. So does it make sense to 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 provide that kind of service to open land? You know, and the counter argument is, well, maybe if they have better transit service, that land will be developed and people will have better, better living circumstances. What you'd hope, and I'm not really deeply familiar with the city policy, is that the policy is not just to build the red line extension, but it's to build the community, red line extension being a part of it. Aside from making service more accessible to traditionally underserved communities, there's the issue of improving quality of service for all. Schofer noted the benefits of reliable transportation in communities. Transit plays, transportation in general, plays a huge economic and social role in in society. If you do really well with transportation, if you give people really good service, you're going to see the results in terms of employment, in terms of education. Historically, or historically the last 30, 40 years, we've looked at public transit market in, in two clumps. There's the captive riders who don't have a choice. So I don't have a car or I can't drive. I'm too young. I'm too old. Um, and and so I, I ride mass transit. And there's the choice riders. And we always talk about the choice riders in, in, in the policy process because on environmental grounds, you know, so if I can get you out of your car and onto the train, it's better the, for the environment. But but you're not a captive rider, so I can only get you onto the train if I give you better service, so if I give you some advantage. I don't have to do that for the captive riders, and so there is an unpleasant tendency to give the captive riders sort of the minimum reasonable service as opposed to a better quality service that you might want to give to a choice rider. So there's a kind of, you know, there's an equity issue. There's an uh, unpleasant kind of racial income-driven process that that underlies some of this. During the COVID-19 pandemic, it was largely these captive riders who remained on the L. Now that ridership numbers are creeping back up, there's disgruntlement about wait times, lack of trains, safety, cleanliness, you name it. Schwederman broadly outlined the current situation. The CDA knows that the situation we have today is not tenable, that we have to be mindful of the problems of the homeless and terrible housing shortage we have, while also allowing essential workers to feel uh, they can have a a pleasant, predictable riding experience. We we have to reconcile how we're going to do that. And that's a really, really hard problem. People that rely on the L deserve a higher quality writing experience. And it's, it's, it's really a shame that a lot of people are being scared away by transit right now. I think it's getting better. You know, the more people are on the trains, the better. CTA, if it's crowded, you feel like you got a support system around you, more eyes on the, in the car. And we're seeing uh, traffic gradually build up. And so that's been a good thing. Next episode, we'll talk more about these specific problems, as well as some problems on the operational side. Do we try to build back up to pre-pandemic and not 
cause anybody to face service reductions or do we rethink the system? Why can't we have high-speed rail in the United States? And the answer is you're not willing to pay for it. We will not compromise safety for the sake of expediency as it relates to hiring. Thanks for listening to Elevating. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rout.